Welcome to another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, I'm Kara Porval. Uh, we usually, for the Radical Parenting Podcast, uh, read a parenting book and, and review that. Um, Kara and I are both huge film fanatics, fans of, of filmmaking, and uh, and this week uh, Kara wanted us to talk about a film that she really enjoys, so I'm going to just let her take it away. Yeah, so the film is called The Florida Project. It's on Netflix. I had been hearing it about it for a while before I got around to watching it, and then um, I've been thinking about it ever since. I really liked it, and I, I mean, like, maybe I'm just twisted because it's actually, there's some really sad and painful parts to it, so there's probably going to be some spoiler alerts, too, so if you think you're going to watch it, go watch it now. I, I highly recommend it, and... Um, I, one of the things I love the most about this movie, so, well, let me say what it's kind of about first. It's about I would think she's probably six or seven, maybe. I don't know. How old did you think she was, Tony? Yeah, probably six or seven. Yeah, and the and the mom, it's hard to tell. I didn't think about it much the first time around, but the, I just watched it again. And um, she, I mean, I don't know. She could be 19. She could be 29. I have no idea how old the mom is supposed to be. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the and the mom is, you know, truly a, a unique like character i mean she's incredibly rude and obnoxious when she wants to be and she can be really sweet and caring with with her friends also and so um but one of the things i love the most about it is it's almost from the kids point of view to me it was it was actually a really joyful film in a lot of ways it shows these kids on summer break and it's, you know, there's a lot of families living in, there's actually two hotels across the street from each other. And the kids just run like wild and free and they're having a great time. And they probably have no idea that like, you know, they're poor and not everybody lives this way. Well, no, I'm sure they're old enough to know, you know, and uh, there's like a real joy to me there and like how they depict the children and how the those children, actors, they don't look like, they don't seem like they're acting at all. They really seem like genuine children doing what children do and like saying the stuff that children say. And Yeah, it's amazing acting yeah. performances. And I think probably a, a whole lot of it is uh, is unscripted. I think the way that this filmmaker even makes films is the same filmmaker that did Tangerine. And I think they kind of specialize in having this kind of rough outline of a script. Like they know what the plot is, but like not full dialogue scripted and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I wondered about that because I'm like, there's no way these kids can carry off these performances if they were memorizing lines. I just was like, how did they, how was this done? Yeah. So the kids, you know, are running around just wreaking havoc. They're like terrorizing the, the hotel 
property manager and, um, you know, panhandling for ice cream. And they actually set up this abandoned condo on fire and nobody knows it was them and they don't get in trouble, but um, they get into like a lot of mischief. Um, But still there was something about their, the independence and freedom that these kids had that actually, again, maybe I'm twisted, but my takeaway at the end of the movie was like, I want to live in a hotel with a bunch of other families like that in a way that would be without the poverty, but like to actually have a huge building where, um, you know, there's lots of kids, lots of families, people are supporting each other in hard times. And also there was some serious arguments and some, you know, like this shit that goes down. Some dysfunction. Yeah. 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 And there's plenty of unhealthy stuff going on, you know, by no means is this like, you know, the healthiest childhood ever, but the play part and the like, the kids having all this freedom to play with each other and have these really deep relationships, you know? Um, and it's like the, the property manager kind of looks out for them and the, the housekeepers look out for them and the other parents look out for the other, you know, other people's kids. And it's this community that I think so many of us are like lacking. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I had seen the film when it first came out, which was um, just a couple years ago. Right. Or a little less than that, maybe. Um, and didn't I? I really loved it, but it didn't. I didn't really remember it. It doesn't have also like a a real clear plot. It's just like a few weeks in the lives of these of these people. Um, and so I I just rewatched most of it, um, but not not all of it. And uh, I mean, I love you know we've talked about we haven't done any of their books, but we've talked about free range kids. And I love just kind of the general idea of uh, or free range parenting. I love the general idea of 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 letting your kids, you know, do their thing. And I grew up so my parents divorced when I was um, nine years old, and uh, I lived in a neighborhood with a lot of lot of kids my age. Kids I was in in at the time third grade with um, fourth grade and. Um, especially after my parents divorced. I think they always gave me a lot of free range, but especially after they divorced and my dad was alone um, when I was at that house, uh, I had a lot of free range. And uh, especially one of the kids, his parents also were very, um, they were very laid back, but also it was it was a requirement. His dad was a traveling salesman and his mom was a night shift shift nurse. So I could sleep at his house. He could sleep at my house. Sometimes nobody knew where anybody was, but they kind of just like trusted we were safe. And sometimes we were playing in the cemetery or playing at the elementary school at 2 a.m. or something like that. Um, But it did end up for me like instilling this, you know, I felt really safe, you know, and, and I just felt like the world was mine to explore. And I think it built a lot of confidence in me and built a lot of adventure and, um, and I just didn't have uptight, worried parents. Uh, and so it just made me a, a non-uptight. I mean, I don't think anyone who's ever met me has ever thought I was, you know, an uptight, worried type person. Yeah, we had a little bit. Yeah, we. I had a little bit of that when I was a kid, like especially when I was in elementary school. We lived in this really like 
you know, very kind of cocooned neighborhood that didn't, there weren't busy streets anywhere. You know, we lived on a cul-de-sac where the kids could just run around. We would go in the backyards of different people and play games in the cul-de-sac. And, you know, um, I tended to want, I was pretty introverted and wanted to mostly be inside by myself, but I know, especially my sister would just, you know, you know, might leave for six hours and not come back. I, I kind of strive for that with my daughter and I'm not quite sure how to get there exactly. You know, like I have this, we have this relationship with our neighbors that are right next door where they can run back and forth, you know, they can go over to each other's houses anytime they want. They, you know, we say if it's not a good time or something, but often they can just find each other and play and we don't always know where they are and they're running around. And, um, you know, if the whole neighborhood was that way, it would be so awesome. But I feel like there have to be other kids and parents that are kind of in it with us, you know, like, I don't want my five-year-old wandering around even just a few blocks away, like by herself. But if she's with a group of kids, you know, um, especially, you know, mixed, mixed ages. And, you know, we, we, we walk around enough and go on bike rides that we, we see a lot of neighbors and we, 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 they know her, especially my daughter's kind of famous, you know, cause she's like just the cutest little, like five-year-old that talks like she's 20. <laughs> and, um, I, I just, I strive for that. And like, I, it's, it's not necessarily, it's me that's probably holding her back actually. Cause I, I don't feel safe with her just like going even four blocks away to knock on somebody's door and see if they can play. And I don't necessarily trust that she's going to like come straight back here if they're not home and there's no adults around, you know? So I'm like, have to kind of get a grip on like what I, how I want to manage all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it would have been really neat for us to watch this movie and review, uh, free range kids or whatever the, the it's Lenore Skenazy is her, is her name. Yeah. The book's just called yeah. free range kids. Um, it would have been cool to review this book, uh, along with, with this movie, but, uh, Karen, and I haven't read the book yet. I've checked out her blog, but, but not her book. So we'll have to put that on the list. But I would say, you know, in the, in the spectrum of parents from like the helicopter, the like full, you know, disciplinarian helicopter parent all the way to the, to the, um, the it says Lenorskinazy got awarded the America's worst mom. <laughs> um, so from <clears throat> from the from the spectrum of like a like the Summerhill book or or um, or or Free Range Kids, yeah, Peter Gray that that side to um, I'd say you're still pretty far on the spectrum uh, towards towards Free Range and what I what I've even called um, Prime Directive Parenting, which is that as much non-interference as possible. So yeah, I mean, it's that balance, you know, and I'm a part of so many moms groups on, um, I wish they were just parents groups, but they all end up being moms groups on, on Facebook. And, you know, safety is just this Trump word, you know, it's just like, it trumps everything. It's somehow like when we're talking about building confidence, when we're talking about building independence, when we're talking about Montessori, when we're talking about any other philosophies, some mom says safety and everybody's just like, yeah, like, 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 you know, like, yes, this is the way to go. 
And, you know, like I've been sharing some, you know, I, I keep like um, outlet covers on all my outlets and stuff like that. But I shared an article that said like, statistically, this actually isn't a danger. This doesn't really happen. And, um, mm. and like abduction, like these moms teaching their kids, there's a scene in the movie where, you know, maybe there was some risk of some kind of possible um, abduction or something happening um, that Willem Dafoe's character kind of um, nips in the bud. Uh, and he's such a great character in this movie. That was awesome. I love that scene. It was so great. Yeah, he kind of, he scares away this like creepy pedophile looking guy who's like trying to be, get friendly with this group of, you know, children that are unsupervised essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I won't go on a sideline, but Willem Dafoe's character, the first time I saw him was in the movie Platoon. Uh, you know, the I don't know if you guys have seen Platoon, but his character is amazing in that film. Uh, that that movie's amazing too. But so th- I've kind of always been a little bit in love with with Willem Dafoe, um, and he was he had a great character in this movie, just a, a stellar character. Um, but the point is, sorry, even with like child abductions, like in the whole country of the entire United States, there's less than three hundred kids. Um, abducted by strangers per year. So like in the risk, in the list of like all the different things that can happen to your kids, it's really, really low. You know, we're we're talking like 20,000 kids die from drowning and like 300 at most, you know, are abducted. And it's, but it's just like it, those stories of, of Elizabeth Sharp or of John Benet Ramsey or the Lindbergh baby, any of that stuff that just like, it's our brains are designed to target and think about threats and we just as parents can't help it. And so it has so much power over us when we hear those and we'll have a kid that we teach to fear humans. We teach to fear everybody. And so it's, it takes a kind of unique parent to just have that, that equation happening just in this part of your brain, not this part of your brain and say like, is a lifetime of of fearing versus trusting people like how is that gonna play out compared with you know teaching my trying to keep my kid as safe as possible from something like an abduction anyway so these kids were certainly not they didn't have helicopter parents they they had free-range parents that and again it's these aren't free-range parents like i'm a very in a very privileged position for my parenting i can choose free-range parenting lenore skinazy could pick free range parenting from a place of like privilege. These parents are doing it because they have no choice. They don't have money for, for daycare. They don't, they, they have to work. Um, and so they are free range parents, um, out of obligation. But like you said, the mom in this movie, who by the way was 24 when she filmed it. So it probably roughly is about the, the age of the, of the character too. Um, she was amazing. And you've talked a little bit. Part of the reason you wanted to do this is also just because of the relationship she had with her daughter. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, Cause there's something about her relationship with, with her kid that I found so touching and sweet, you know, I mean, so this, this mom, she's like pretty hilariously disrespectful in so many ways, like when something's not going her way or she, you know, will like fight with the building manager when she's late on her rent or she'll fight with like the social worker who's like 
trying to help her. She'll fight with anyone, right? And um, she's like, can get, you know, to the point where it's like, okay, you gotta like get your life together. But at the same time, I, in a way, I weirdly respect like her not giving a flying, you know, F. While caring a whole lot about her daughter. Yeah. While caring a whole lot about her daughter. And so the sweetness, I guess, is that she can be so rude to other people. And she's really sweet with her daughter as far as like they play, like almost every scene of them together is like they're playing together and they're, or they're joking around or there's not this like, there's not this rub of, there doesn't seem to be like a lot of power dynamics going on. And part of that is because she is really immature. I mean, she's almost like a kid. You know, that's why I wondered if like, is she like 18, you know, mm. raising this kid? That wouldn't work with her daughter is six. But, you know, I mean, she's clearly very immature. She's like, really, her life is, is in the shithole and she's a mess. And, but like, she has this connection with her kid. Their relationship is, it seems really... Um, human like two humans relating to one another really respectful in both directions i mean it's really respectful for for a woman who like you said is so irreverent and so disrespectful to the rest of the world they respect each other in the way two friends or two family members who who love each other and respect each other treat each other uh and it goes both directions i mean her her daughter might you know like you know, mouth off to her or something here and there, but it, but underneath there's like a, a genuine respect that has nothing to do with, with manners or propriety or, 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 you know, doing the right thing or tradition. It only has to do with her loving and respecting her daughter and, and vice versa. So yeah, her daughter curses and she curses in front of her daughter. And um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I loved their relationship too. And I really do strive. I mean, even now I talk to, I talk to my son, like a peer whenever possible, you know? Yeah. And he's, he's 17 months. He's not even 17 months old. Yeah. Good. I mean, they, they watch out for each other. They care for each other. They, they, they help each other out. It's, it's a sweet relationship. And, um, I, so my favorite part of the whole movie is at the end when, so watch the movie first before you hear what I'm going to say. I'm giving away the whole ending. Um, she, this mom, you know, she's done all kinds of odd jobs. She's done all kinds of like scams and she's hustling, trying to get by. She's been a stripper. She's been a dancer. She, she gets desperate for money. She starts turning tricks in her hotel room with her daughter, there her daughter's in the bathtub in the bathroom like nobody's allowed to go in the bathroom she turns on loud music her kid is playing in the bath and it's i mean it's super creepy it's like awful you know and she um gets called out and there's some setup like she re she resisted that as much as she could i mean she did this when she felt like it was literally the only option she had to not be homeless yeah yeah and um she is pretty clever in her scams and stuff, you know, trying to make money. And um, she gets called, uh, her friend that she's arguing with that she actually beats up, um, calls, it, here it's called Child Protective Services. They were calling it something different in Florida. And she gets her kid taken away. Um, 
they come and do like an evaluation or whatever. And then one day they come and say, this, your child's going to go to another family while we do an investigation. And um, the child, when she kind of puts it together, what's happening at first, she's like, okay, I'll go with these nice women who talk to her like she's not a person, right? They're like so nice, but they're like, oh, be careful on the stairs. I find that that whole scene so funny because these women are like, we just really want you to be safe. And and they have no idea what this kid has been up to, right? And what a badass she is. What she's capable of. Right. And they're talking to her in this sort of vague adult way that makes no. She's like, what is going on? What do you mean I'm going to go temp- to a temporary place? And she finally puts it together that they're taking her away from her mom. She runs. She kicks and fights and runs. And she goes across the street to the other hotel where her friend is and gets her friend, and then they run together. I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. They run off together to Disney World, because this is, you know, Orlando or whatever. And they um, they sneak inside, they just run inside Disney World. And then they're like, in. And I'm, we don't know what happens. I mean, does, do the child protective officers ever find them and take her away? Do they actually like get away with it? We don't really know. Um, but I find that so admirable, actually. That yeah. The six-year-old is like, I don't want to go to another family. I want to be with my mom, and I'm not going with you. You know, and these people, there's police officers in the parking lot with guns, and there's these, like, two or three adults that are all there to help her take her away. And um, she yeah. isn't having it, you know? So I, like, I have high hopes for my daughter that you know, if something skeevy ever happens to her, that she will not be polite and not play along and not, you know, um, do any of those things. I, yeah, I feel really emotional talking about it um, right now. I, I, I'm not too scared of abduction, but I mean, it's a fear I have. I, I get more worried about, you know, molestation and sexual abuse and i mean that just it's so like the statistics are incredible like on the frequency i forget like the actual numbers and um it's not anybody's fault when that happens to them you know and i would like for her if that happens i would like for her to yell and scream and kick and fight and run away you know and there's lots of ways that we can protect our kids from that. And I personally believe that there are ways we can protect our kids from that that don't instill fear in them. We can, we can protect our kids from that in a way that isn't about, isn't about fear. That is more about confidence and autonomy and a kid that's not going to accept their autonomy and their confidence being, being, you know, they know how they feel, they know their feelings and they aren't taught to suppress those, those feelings. And they aren't taught to not hurt someone else's feelings. And they aren't taught to be obedient because all, all adults know better than them or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't what the topic of the of the film is. Uh, but, you know, for me, I loved, I loved hearing... When my son was first born, he didn't really like getting his diapers changed. He still doesn't love it. He hated the cold wipes, you know, and even if you got a wipe warmer, he just didn't like it. And so I would rush through those those diaper changes. We've talked about this before. And um and 
subconsciously when you think about it that is like it's almost like it would encourage dissociation for him you know it would almost encourage him just like you know just like be anxious about this rush through it you know pretend it's not happening and whatever and i think it was janet lansbury talking about or maybe it was maybe it was a Elaine Maslich and yeah it was probably her yeah I, I don't know who it was but I think they were talking about like maybe a Magda Gerber story where she was she was witnessing a diaper change at an orphanage or something like that and the the diaper change you know the woman changed the diaper was just so calm and was just with every move just like I'm gonna pick your right leg up and now we're gonna wipe your your bum and you know these are babies that can't cooperate or not you know they they, they don't have any real role but you're dictating everything you're doing. You're honoring their body. You're reminding them that their body is theirs um, from birth, you know, from one day old. And um, and I remember the first time after uh, the mother of my son had had uh, had kind of made this shift too. I think she was also a little like nervous about it at first, but she had made the shift and she just said, "Just tell them what you're doing. Just just stay calm." And um, and it just shifted everything for me. And so, like, I think there are so many ways you can protect your children from that. I think them being really aware of their their body sensations uh, and free to express themselves, never teaching them to suppress, you know, like, this doesn't feel right in my body and I'm allowed to say that. Every expression is, like, important for us to hear of theirs. Um, I think their body autonomy, we're always in a rush and we're just pulling their arms through a sleeve and we're whatever, or we're letting a doctor stick a thermometer in them or whatever, you know, every time we have those opportunities, just slow down and just say, either let them do it themselves because it's their body and they can do it. Or if they're at an age or in a phase where they can't, you're at least honoring their body. You're saying, okay, I'm going to put your left arm through the jacket sleeve. I'm going to put your shoe on your right foot. And I think that stuff really subconsciously reinforces body autonomy. I also love just the idea of just like kids always want to be the boss of each other and you and their friends and whatever. And like on some level, I want to instill in my son, everybody's the boss of their own body. You know, we can play games and we can give that up to people and we can whatever, but like daddy's the boss of daddy and Arlo's the boss of Arlo and Arlo's friends are the boss of their own body. And uh, it's just like a slow long kind of subconscious recurring lesson um so I, for me those are the ways that i want i don't want to teach him karate <laughs> i don't want to teach him to to scream in stranger danger i i i want to teach him those other things everybody is the boss of their own body and anytime you are feeling something in your body it's important and it's okay to express and and it's okay to listen to. Yeah. And that's not going to make him 100% safe, but making him fear, afraid of everybody isn't either. And certainly making him obedient, like Elizabeth Sharp, the perfect, well-behaved, beautiful young Mormon girl, um, you know, who spent a year in captivity or whatever, like being polite isn't going to make him safe either. So. Yeah. And uh, one of, uh, along this line, one of my favorite... Um, strategies is like it's okay not to like people <laughs> it's okay to choose who you want to be around 
So, cause there's a big thing about, oh, like including everyone or being nice to everyone, or it's not okay to say you don't like someone. Um, you know, we're reading, so Tony and I are reading this book right now that we're gonna do a, an episode on soon called It's Okay Not to Share. What is it? 39 Renegade Rules. Mm-hmm, 29. 29, oh, thank God. Okay, 29 Renegade Rules. You know, and one of them is um, it's okay to, that children have the right to choose who they play with, that we don't need to force them to play with with kids they're not interested in playing with and that it's not good for the other kid either to have someone forced to play with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I see that sometimes, like, I just, this is a minor thing, but I remember being at a restaurant one time with my daughter and the, the server, you know, when the server walked away, she said, I don't like him. And, you know, I, I thought there was like something a little maybe off about him too. Nothing big. I didn't find him scary or anything. And um, my immediate, like conditioned knee jerk reaction was to think like, oh, don't say that, you know, he's just doing his job. He's just a guy doing his job. Um, But I said, you know, that's okay. You know, you don't have to like everybody. Because I that little instinct of like, no, I don't want to spend time with that person, or I don't want to like that person you know, it gets squashed a lot, you know, we're supposed to be nice to everybody, mm-hmm. like everybody, include everybody. And I think that might be one of the very best skills to not, to not get into, to get out of dangerous situations. It's like that little instinct, you know, like to be dramatic when Ted Bundy, Bundy drives up in his van to be like, no, I'm not getting in there. Um, yeah. And, and so there's something almost admirable, you know, for this kid to see her mom, you know, she's seeing it modeled. We don't often get to see that modeled of like really telling somebody off or telling someone to like saying F you or whatever it is. And there's like, there's power in that actually, I think. Mm-hmm. One of the things radical honesty has taught me as an adult is not necessarily to doubt that intuition, but definitely to dig deeper into that intuition that I have with people. Um, I have had an experience, I think I might've even mentioned in this podcast before, but I'll try and do a quick version of it. The very first um, retreat that, that Kara and I went to um, uh, was in Greece uh, I had been studying facial expressions because of an animation class that I was teaching this thing called the facial action coding system, which we're also going to talk about in a future episode because it really fits into some of the skills that I think we want to we want to help our children get literate with. Um, and there were two people that just rubbed me so wrong. And all I thought was the normal thing. Like, I just get a bad vibe from these people. And, um, and then uh, one night I was sleeping in a yurt with this guy, Marvin, uh, from, from Germany, radical honesty trainer, the yurt blew away. Brad gathers everybody the next day and is like, who will, who will, who will host Tony and Marvin and Marvin pairs off with, uh, with the young woman. And, and then one of these two guys that was just like rubbing me so wrong was like, Hey Tony, I'll, I'll, I've got an extra bed. And so, you know, I felt grateful and totally guilty. And then I, I, I set out that day to figure out why don't I like this guy. When I when I go to bed in his room tonight, I'm going to be honest with him and I'm not going to just say you seem like a creep 
I'm not going to just say you give me bad vibes. I'm going to get specific because we we separate these thoughts from like what we notice and try and we're not just psychic. We are actually picking up on something like the Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink. We aren't aware of what we're picking up on, but there's something specific we're picking up on, a tone of voice, a posture, a, a facial expression, something. And so um, so I pay attention all day and, and I start kind of figuring it out. And that night we go into his room and I just tell him, look, I'm really grateful for you giving me this bed to sleep in, but I, I can't sleep here without telling you that I don't like you. You've given me bad feelings in my body when I've seen you from day one. And, uh, and, and, and he just like sat down and we did a, a completion kind of conversation resentment thing. And I told him that I'm, I'm, I'm mad at him and like scared of him from, for his facial expressions and that he says one thing, but his face says another and his face doesn't work right. And he just starts bawling and I'm just going, just saying all these things and he's just bawling. And he ends up telling me that, <clears throat> that, that when he was young, he was a competitive cyclist as a, like a middle schooler in Australia and that he got in some horrible wreck, destroyed his face and had it all reconstructed plastic surgery over like 13 different surgeries over the course of like 10 years. And every time it's like, no, it's still not right. I still don't have a normal face. I have to do another set of surgeries and another set of surgeries. And then finally, like a few years before this retreat that we were all at, he like felt like he'd finally got his face back to where it looks right. But underneath it's all scar tissue and it just doesn't work right. And, and, and that's what I was, I was paying a lot of attention to his facial expressions and it, and, and it, I felt horrible and we both cried and we embraced and, and, and were able to really connect over the next couple of days. Uh, and he then flew out to Denver to visit me from Australia. He had me redo his book, the first book before he published. Um, and it's just a, such an intense lesson for me to not, I don't want to counter contradict the lesson that you're that you're teaching your daughter because we do want her to trust those sensations, but yeah. we want her to trust them and to get more specific, you know, and like understand what it is and maybe even like share those things. And then later on with more work in radical honesty, I started thinking like actually and like no matter what was the cause of his facial expressions not matching his words the guy deserves compassion. I mean, maybe I don't want to hang out with him. Maybe he grew up in a household where you just couldn't express yourself. And so he learned to lie with his facial expressions or something and he never got practice. No matter what it is, the guy deserves compassion and understanding. So, yeah. Unless he's trying to hurt little girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I love that story, Tony. I That's beautiful. And I mean, yeah, right. Even if it wasn't a physical, you know, like scar tissue or whatever, whatever it was, it's, it's probably just, you know, most of our dysfunction usually comes from pain, right? It comes from some hurt part of us that isn't healed. Like, yeah, I understand that. And that most people are not. Yeah pedophiles or kidnappers or and that risk is so low really as you were saying and I'm curious like did you have with him did you have an intuition of not being safe or was it more like I don't trust this guy I'm ear or like he annoys me I'm irritated 
Well, I think at first it was just like, yeah, he seems like a creep. I, I just get a bad vibe. And you resist that. So like I actually, you know, I picked up on it without knowing what I was picking up on and then like would avert my gaze. Like I just didn't want to feel the way I felt when I saw him and subconsciously just avoided the guy. Wow. Um, but then that day I said, okay, no, I'm going to step into this discomfort. I'm going to keep looking at him. I'm going to get curious about this aversion that I have to him. And then it did, yeah, kind of shift into like, I can't trust you. You're tricking me. You're fooling me, which is probably bringing up some wounds of my own that I wasn't and still am not totally aware of why that bothered me so much more than it bothered other people. Other people like this guy plenty. Yeah, because I know who you're talking about exactly, and I didn't have that reaction at all. And I maybe wasn't paying that much attention to his facial expressions either. Yeah. And I do think because I've been so, paying so much attention to facial action coding system, and at times I've had people in my life that have think that have like thought like Tony, you're on the spectrum, or you're you know you're you're you don't pick up on some normal social cues. So I think it wasn't just because I was doing animation; it's because like. I worry that that's like a deficiency of mine. And so I was working extra hard at, uh, at, really? at practicing it for a year or two. Yeah. Um, and that was now seven years ago. So I've been kind of practicing it now for 10 plus years. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons why I was really focused on that. But yeah, that would explain too why I was so creeped up, creeped out by him and, and most people weren't. Yeah. But you're also kind of a trusting soul. The other one I was also creeped out by. You're like, oh, I'll let him stay in my room. <laughs> Did I really? Oh, well, I was already in a room with the, the guy that creeped me out the most. Yeah, that's what I meant. The guy from Israel. Oh, okay. I, I moved out of his room. Oh, good, good. But at some point, I feel like you were okay with it. Uh, yeah, because we had this, a similar kind of process where we, we had we, – you know, spoke honestly with each other and got to a very different place afterwards where I, I saw, you know, a little more of what was going on there. And we won't say his name, but I mean, I was scared of this other person too. And, you know, what ended up happening with him is that he was raised in Israel by a very religious family, um, kind of isolated from everyone, had a lot of like sexual thoughts and feelings that he was taught from a very young age were just horribly sinful and needed to be like suppressed and were from the devil. And I mean, he was, and could now I'm sure admit, but at the time could have never admitted a closeted homosexual, um, and totally asexual. Um, and when you learn to repress yourself and are taught to repress yourself and even hate yourself and think of these parts of yourself as evil, you end up with some weird expressions, some weird ways of everything comes out convoluted because you've never been welcome to just say, like what Janet Lansbury says, every thought, every expression of your body is important to me, it's valid and lovable. That's the message I want my son to have, I want all kids to have, and that's not a message this, this, this man ever had growing up. And so, yeah, I mean... I don't want to hang out with that guy, but he deserves some compassion. Yeah. So, hey, we just have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything more we want to say about the film? I do just really recommend it. And this this production company, A24, just keeps coming out with great stuff. They have one out in the theaters now that I want to see. One thing that's kind of cool from the filmmaking perspective 
is that last scene you were talking about. So the whole film's filmed on 35 millimeter. It's beautiful. It looks, it looks great. Uh, that last scene, uh, they filmed on an iPhone in, um, in like magic mountain or whatever, whatever it is, because, because you aren't allowed to film in there. Cool. So it's got a little, cool little guerrilla filmmaking thing going on to it, which endears it to me even more. Yeah. 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 You know, I think the thing, what I appreciate the most is like just the gray area, you know, there's nothing, there's not a black and white, like, is she a good mom or a bad mom? Totally. Does she deserve to have her child taken away? Or it's like, I get it why her child was taken away. And I was also like, why are they taking her kid? You know, they can't do that. And there's just this whole, it's, it's, it's emotionally complex in a way that's not clear cut, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I find that really lovely. Good. All right. Well, let's put free range kids on our list and we can follow up this conversation, maybe bring the Florida project back into it after we, after we read that book, we've got a long list. I mean, there's just never ending list of great, great parenting books and great resources. So, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week with, um, with, uh, it's okay not to share and 29 renegade parenting rules. Uh, the author is going to join us for that one. And, uh, and we've got a lot more coming. So thanks for listening to the radical parenting podcast. Anything left to say, Kara? Nope. That's it. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.